Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuests.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're here today. And we have a very interesting two questions that we're going to be talking about today. And before I do, I just want to make sure I have everything working right. Noah, who is our webcast engineer, is not here today, so it falls on me and Stephen. And I hope everything's going fine. Do you guys hear me? Yes, we do. Okay. Let we me... hear you, but you are kind of silhouetted like a mafia witness. <laughs> <laughs> you just need the voice distortion to complete let the me, Oh, yeah. Look at that. You just see a little bit of me. I got to fix that. And there we go. We could, we could interview you like you're in a witness protection program. Yeah, that'd be great. Oh, now, now, now everybody sees you. Yeah, no worries. The cat's out of the bag. Scott, good to see you here. How are you doing? How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing all right. How are you doing today, Drew? Very good. And, and Stephen, also good to see you here, too. Good to see you, Drew. Welcome, everybody. Yeah. And so if you're coming in on from the um, Stephen's Facebook page, Stephen, they just put the comments in your text box, in the text box under the video. Is that how yep. it works? Just leave your comments and questions in the comments below, and we'll take those live. And again, we've got a couple of viewer questions we're going to cover today, but we're always looking for more questions. So please, yeah. even if you don't have a comment on our topic today, feel free to leave your questions below, and we'll get to those as soon as we can. If you're coming in from the Zoom app, you have the Q&A button. Click on that. That'll pop up the Q&A window and just text in your questions or comments there as we're talking. And again, it doesn't have to be on a topic we're at, or it could be further questions on the topic. And no one has done it yet, but if anyone wanted to call in using their audio, click the raise your hand icon that's up there on your screen, and that'll tell us you'd like to come in and ask us verbally, audio using audio to come in. So guys, let's get right into it. I'll go ahead and read the first question. And this comes from Harv. And it's a very good question, and we've, we've seen this question appear elsewhere, I'm sure. Can you help me understand why in Exodus 33.20, it says, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live also. And then in John 1.18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. But in Genesis 32.30, it says, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, because I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Literally, literally means face-to-face with God. So, guys, where do you want to go and begin with this one? Well, this is a good question. uh, Yeah, this is a good question. And this is one of those um, alleged Bible contradictions that you'll hear sometimes that people bring up. that Oh, well, no one can see God, but then he says he saw God. Um, I think if you look there at Exodus or Genesis 32, uh, there's a lot of interesting things going on when Jacob wrestles here. Um, the text says in Genesis 32, 22, um, or excuse me, down in verse 24, Genesis 32, 24. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. 
So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And as Drew's already noted, the word Peniel means the face of God. Um, and so Jacob has this encounter, and there's a lot of questions I still have about this encounter. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly what's going on. But there's an interesting passage in Hosea chapter 12 that I think sheds a little bit of light on this um, as Hosea is using the life of Jacob as an example here. Uh, Hosea chapter 12. And he says, starting in verse 2, Hosea 12, 2, The Lord has an indictment against Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. He will repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood, he strove with God. And then look at verse 4, particularly. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. The Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial name. So in verse 4, we've got Hosea writing here, prophesying, and it says that Jacob strove with the angel and prevailed. Uh, I think one way that we can reconcile these passages is to see that Jacob, the being that he was wrestling with, we might well say is an angel. Um, and so even though he calls the name of the place the face of God, it's not necessarily God in the flesh that he's wrestling with there in Genesis 32, but here it says he strove with the angel and prevailed. Thoughts on that? Would you say that's similar to when God appeared to Moses in the flame fire bush that that's God, but that it's he, God is represented by the fire? Yeah, there are several times in Scripture where there are multiple ways to describe the presence of God. Uh, the burning bush is one of the places where it talks about the angel of the Lord appearing to Moses and also the Lord himself appearing to Moses. And sometimes different. there's multiple ways to describe the same event happening. Uh, there are some other places in the Old Testament, uh, Exodus 33, 11, uh, Deuteronomy 34, uh, where Moses is described as having spoken face-to-face -face with God, and there's this close relationship. But again, God is the one who said, no man can see my face and live. Scott, do you have a thought? Uh, just to read that passage there in Exodus 3, and the angel of Jehovah appeared unto him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Uh, but then it goes on, and he's speaking to God. Verse 6 I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And let's remember that the word angel meant messenger. So if God is speaking through this messenger. Um, and I found, uh, Stephen, you pointed out that Hosea 2 passage uh, earlier, uh, or 12. Hosea 12, 4. Uh, Hosea 12, 4. I found that very interesting to give us some extra light back to that event with Jacob, that it was uh, with an angel, with a messenger, uh, that he is wrestling. And let's just read a few, I'm going to read a few passages from the New Testament uh, that have some bearing on this. First uh, Timothy 1.17, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. Um, and then uh, you've got Colossians 1, Speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. 
and First Timothy 6.16, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. Yeah, so there's certainly, we know that God is, he is a spirit, he is invisible. Uh, we're not going to see his face in the same way that we see the face of people here. Uh, now, there are people who have visions of God in the Old Testament. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting on a throne. Um, Ezekiel sees kind of God's chariot throne in chapter one. John sees a vision of Jesus in his glorified state in Revelation chapter one. And so there are times where people will see something like, and again, I like the way the end of Ezekiel one puts it. It was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord that even the visions that people have, it's like fire and it's like lightning and it's like this. And there's Isaiah four where you have the, uh, the father on the throne. There's more of a description of what's around him than of him, which is, I think, very appropriate. Yes, the train of his robe filled the temple, and there's the heavenly creatures and things. And and it's notable. I mean, God will point out in the Old Testament, in passages like Deuteronomy 4, where Moses is saying, listen, children of Israel, don't turn to idolatry. Don't, don't make graven images of God, because you did not see a form at Mount Sinai. You didn't see, you can't go and carve what you saw, you know. Um, that God is invisible. He uses physical pictures to describe the awesome power of his presence. But you can't, there's not like a photo that we have of God. Uh, there's no likeness that you can compare to him. And another like, thought, go ahead, Drew. Well, I was just going to say this is somewhat related, but not really, just connected in the fact of some, seeing the Father. Uh, Philip asked Jesus, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied, Lord. Just show us the Father, right? And that was in uh, John 14. Mm-hmm. Jesus said to him, if you have known me, you would have known my father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In other words, right. look at Jesus and you see God. In, in any way you can as, get close to physicalness, that's how they could see. Yeah, and back there in Colossians where he, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And, and there's a spectrum here. Um, some passages are talking about the fact that we as humans do not see God. He, he, he's beyond our, our seeing him. Some passages are on the focus of how close a prophet like Moses was to God in a, in, in a non-typical experience that he had this much closer relationship. Um, on one end of, of the spectrum, you have like Romans 1, where it says the what things of God we can clearly see, the invisible attributes of God we can clearly see, even his Eternal power, divinity, by looking at what, what he's made, creation. Yeah, uh, and so you've got a, a spectrum of statements, uh, and in them it can seem to be some contradictory statements. When wait, no one saw God, but here someone says uh, they saw God, uh, and, and then we have Moses where he doesn't see. You know, God passes by and that type of thing. Uh, but I was thinking that maybe it's a little bit similar to different ways that we speak of a, a married couple. Um, the Bible says, so they are no more two, but one. One flesh. One. And so in some ways, yes, they are no more two, but one. And marriages are much, much better and stronger 
when instead of viewing ourselves as different people, we view ourselves as a team and we are one, indivisible one. But then obviously there are other ways in which we can speak of, you know, is it appropriate to point out men and women are different? <laughs> and here's two different people and they have to learn to work. To yes. And so depending on the angle that you approach it, sometimes uh, affects the way it's expressed. Yeah. And I really think that's what Jacob is getting at when he names the place Peniel and says, I've seen the face of God and haven't been destroyed. Is he had a, what we might call a close encounter with God um, through the angel that he wrestled with that um, that's an unusual thing. What Moses experienced on Mount Sinai is an unusual thing. And it describes later that he, you know, he spoke with God face to face kind of a thing. And again, God I don't think has a face or a back or a hand in the same way that you or I have a face or a back or a hand. He uses those figures of speech to describe the, again, the closeness like Scott pointed out, but we have to be really careful about pressing images of God too, too literally. Stephen, what's, what's, what's that uh, before Scott picks up, what's that fancy word you used before describing human Physical things, attributing it to God. Anthropomorphic is a word for giving those human attributes to something that's non-human. Right. What are you going to say, Scott? Well, um, let's, uh, if one, uh, for our audience, we're looking for more questions. So if you have a comment, if you have a question, and about what we've just spoken about, or it can be on another topic, uh, we would love to hear uh, some more questions from the audience. So you can either, if you're following on Facebook, you can enter it in there. Uh, if you're at the uh, BibleQuest page, you can uh, uh, put it in there. But we'd love to hear from you. Uh, let's go on now to our next question. Uh, did, did either of you have anything? Uh, and that, there's some confusing things in there, but I, I found that Hosea passage particularly helpful. Uh, yeah, that kind of solidifies. I'll move on. All right, so let's get to this next question. Can you comment on John 6, 37, 39, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and that all that he has given I will certainly not cast out. Are these pre-chosen, and why did he assure them he won't cast them out? So maybe let's start off with just what's the context here in John 6? What's going on that day? Well, Jesus has fed the 5,000 the day before. And then he's had some people come to him uh, the next day. And Jesus is saying, um, you're not here because you saw the signs. You're here because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so he's having this conversation with uh, people who come to him, Jews in particular, and they're not really believing in him. And uh, they want to see a sign. They want to have their bellies filled. But Jesus is going to have some strong words for, for those who do not believe in him here and is wanting to help them to get the message of the sign of feeding the 5,000. He's going to basically preach this sermon here on the fact that he is the bread of life is the context of this conversation. So when they ask for, um, they say, uh, you know, what are you, what sign are you going to do? And then they volunteer one, you know, Moses gave a sign. He gave manna out of heaven. Ha ha. Uh, you know, it's, they hint, just hint. spent the day before. And now they're wanting to be fed again. And Jesus points out that's their motive. And then Jesus 
points out, it was not Moses, this is verse 32, that gave you the bread out of heaven, but my father gives you the true bread out of heaven. Okay, so that's the scenario, but what about the uh, the concept of, why, why would someone ask about the pre-chosenness of this? Well, coming down through the text, he's going to start talking about um, those, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. All right, verse 37. Uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, certainly the Bible talks about, um, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, you see God's eternal plan in this, chose us in Christ, you know, uh, for the foundation of the world. God had a plan, he, he working toward this plan and uh, the, an intent. Uh, and in this, one of the things in the Gospel of John, emphasized over and over, is where Jesus is pointing out, it is not his word, it's the Father's. It is not his power, the Father's. It is not his will, the Father's. That he is in the submissive role of submitting himself to what the Father gives him to see and do. And he's leading up to that expression again here. So he says um, in verse 36, uh, you've seen me, yet you believe not. But he's the bread that the Father has given out of heaven. And then we have uh, verse 37. All that which the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And then there's a reason tied to it. What does verse 38 say? For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And we're going to jump back to that, but first let's finish reading the text. How do the Jews respond at this point? So Jesus is saying, I'm here to do the will of my Father. And the, my, my Father's will is that what he gives to me, I'm not to lose it. I'm to keep it. I'm not going to cast it out. It's my job to uh, uh, to take this, uh, uh, all that which he gives me that I should lose nothing, but should raise it on the last day. This is the will of the father that the believers should have eternal life. And the Jews murmur. And why do they murmur? Verse well, from, from their point of view, though, they would, they know who the father is. They believe in him. They believe in God, but who are you? Yeah. And what does the text specifically say? They uh, murmured and said, uh, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Yeah. And they're and like, wait a minute. We, we know Jesus. They say, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Yeah. Yeah. And so they're, who, so they're thinking, of course, he's taking far too much uh, upon himself here. Uh, even while he's saying that he's submitting to the will of the Father. So coming back to this statement where it says, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. Him that comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Now, if I read that uh, through a, a, a Calvinistic interpretation, who is it that's going to come to me? Those that God chooses? And he would choose them how, according to Calvinism? Unconditionally. Uh, yeah, the Bible talks about the elect over and over. Uh, who should, Romans 8. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Elect, um, 
And so, but Calvinists insist that election is an unconditional election. So here's five people and nope, 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 yep, nope. And so this one is going to be allowed to come and these other ones just cannot. And then the one that comes, Jesus, from a Calvinistic perspective, uh, in no wise is going to cast out, which if you take it uh, the way a lot of people take it in teaching once saved, always saved, once you're there, you're what? Once saved. You saved. cannot be lost. And people you know, who believe in that uh, and, and maybe Calvinists, further Calvinists, because not everybody believes that as five-point Calvinist, but people within that, the, that belief system, some of them approach it, well, if you ever do walk away and live a disobedient life, that meant you were never the call wins in the first place. But a lot are, well, no, you're just, you're good to go. Uh, and so you have like the Baptist preacher that said, there is not a single sin you can commit from murder to idolatry that could endanger your soul in the slightest. Uh, which, by the way, um, there was a, a mass shooting some years ago in the Pittsburgh area. Do you guys remember this? It was at LA Fitness. And a fellow went in there with a rifle and started shooting and killed uh, several people. You know why he did it? He went to the Telesti Church, which is the Greek word, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, for it is finished. Hmm. Favorite phrase uh, of some people. You, you, Stephen, I know you'll remember the uh, poem that was on the internet. It kind of gave the impression you don't really have to obey because when Jesus said, it is finished, I think he meant it. It kind of implies there's nothing we need to do. And this church insisted on that and taught once they'd always said very firmly. And so this fella, and, and he had been taught, even if you commit mass murder, you'll go to heaven. So he went in and he committed mass murder. You, you can Google this, uh, uh, LA Fitness, Pennsylvania, uh, several years ago. And after he killed all those people, the deacon from the church said, that brother is now in heaven. Oh, Wow. Now, that's not what Jesus meant when he said, all that the Father gives to me, you know, uh, I, I will receive and will not cast them out. Jesus is, give me another passage where Jesus is pictured and is inviting people to come to him. Matthew 11, uh, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. Now, if the weary and heavy laden come to Jesus, does he say, uh, no. He doesn't do that. He, he, he's, he's asking us to come. It, who, it's the Father's will that he receive and raise him. True. What about the, uh, where uh, Peter says, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should repent? Beautiful. That shows it's not that God wants people to perish, but it also shows that whether or not we repent affects whether or not we receive the grace offered because as I've said before, Jesus came to save prostitutes and murderers and drug dealers, but not so that they could keep being prostitutes, murderers and drug dealers were, were to be called out of darkness into marvelous light. His blood will cleanse us from the sin, but his word will guide us away from that behavior. And there's just too many people that want Jesus for the Savior job and not the Lord job, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. 
coming down in the text, so how, so all those that the Father gives me, all those that come to him, how do people come to him? Reading down in the text, what do we learn about that? Yeah, I think it's helpful to keep reading down after the Jews grumble against him saying this. Uh, Jesus says in verse 43, this is John six forty-three. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then in verse 45, I think it helps connect, in what way does the Father draw people? Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he was from God. He has seen the Father. Which kind of goes back to our previous question today. But in verse 45, I think we have the, the mode, the method of, in which God calls people. And he quotes here from the prophets and says that uh, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Um, that it is not an unconditional election, but it is an election based on who will listen and who will learn from the Father. And those are the people who the Father is now giving to Jesus. If they're willing to listen to God, listen to his word, be taught by him, then now Jesus, whom he has sent, they will listen to his son as well. And if you come to Jesus, if you come to the Father, he's never going to cast you out. He's never going to throw you, throw you out and say, no, I reject you. You can't come to me. But that doesn't mean that we can't walk away from him. Um, he doesn't say that he's going to force us to stay against our will. But when we come to him, we, we ought to stay. Uh, we ought to want to stay. Uh, he's not going to cast us out. If we are, if we are clinging to him, he's never going to just cut us off. Um, but he gives us the option. And we see people like Judas and others who do walk away from Jesus and make the choice to, to go on their own path. Over in uh, John 10, Jesus talking about those that uh, are his sheep. They hear his voice. In John 10, 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And the one, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so sometimes they'll just refer to that last phrase, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. But there's a condition there, right? Hearing his voice. Those are the ones that will not be able to be snatched out of his hand. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, there's a contrast at the beginning of that is that uh, you got to listen to the the shepherd and not to, you know, somebody else. Because if you listen to the voice of strangers, you can end up following somebody other than Jesus. And uh, Jesus says that my sheep know my voice and they follow me. And so that's what we got to do. We've got to be people who listen to Jesus and follow him. That requires knowing his word. That requires a careful study and uh, obedience on, on our part. Okay. We've got a raised hand. I'm trying, we've not had a raised hand before, so I just caught that. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Uh, it's from Claire. I can't do anything because you're the host on this one, Steve. But Claire, can you text us something or did you want to ask us something on the microphone? Um, you want to you want to try to experiment with this, Stephen, and see if we can uh, we get it on. I've I've got promote to panelist. Um, 
that's a possibility. Um, I haven't done this before either, so we're yeah, well, uh, Claire. Make sure your video's not on because I don't think your video will go on coming over. But we just want to hear your voice because that's what your hand tells us. So this could be exciting to try something new. All right, let's see here. By the way, while y'all working on we, that, we lost Claire. On a, on. Claire, can you hear us? Right, Drew. What'd you say, Scott? While one of you works on that, I want to uh, adjust something I said earlier. I Go looked ahead. up this fellow that shooting, George Sodini, and uh, looks like there was more than one reason why he did the shooting. He was apparently very angry at women. Uh, he killed three people, injured several others. This was a mass shooting in 2009 over in the Pittsburgh area. So it was kind of a hatred of women that seemed to be especially going on. But he had also attended this church. And if I remember correctly, they had talked specifically, if I remember correctly. Uh, well, you know, I won't say uh, I, my memory thought that they had specifically said, even if you do a mass shooting, maybe they didn't. But they certainly talked once. They always say. And so I'm looking at an article now and it says, once saved, always saved. Deacon says killer rests in heaven. George, this is Saturday, August 8th, 2009. George Stoney rests in heaven now because he professed a faith in Jesus years before the shooting rampage that Tetelastai Christian church leader said. Jack Rickard, deacon at the Plum Church, Sidoni attended for years, said the Bible makes it clear professing a faith in Jesus as Savior means you will have complete eternal salvation. Uh, he said the Tetelestai members are firm believers and once saved, always saved. But uh, although that apparently uh, affected his uh, thinking, he had written in his diary. Yeah, here we go. Sidoni wrote in his online diary that the pastor at Tetelestai convinced him it was possible to commit murder and still be welcomed into heaven. Okay, there it is. Wow. Wow, what's so, and for a reawakening? But also been taught that uh, he could do it and go to heaven. Wow, not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven. Right. And committing mass murder is not doing the will of God. Wow. We, while I was looking that up, did we get to the John six forty four forty five text yet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, I think right. that's helpful when you go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I just think in both in John 6 and John 10, those are two passages that are brought up uh, fairly frequently in talking about these questions of election and uh, eternal security, once saved, always saved questions. And in both passages, it's important to read the context. There are parts of the passage that talk about what God is going to do or not do. Um, that he's going to draw us. And then I think we see he draws us through the word, um, but he's not going to cast us out, but that doesn't mean that no one will ever leave. Um, and just looking at what the passage says, looking at what the passage doesn't say, John 10, you know, he talks about no one's able to snatch them out of my hand. And that's true. If we're clinging to God, there is no force on this earth that can, separate us from God. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter eight, death, nor life, nor things create all these things. Nothing can separate us from the love 
of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But again, Except ourselves, right. And that's the thing is you look at passages like second Peter chapter two, uh, where you have these people who've known the Lord, uh, who've been rescued from the, the sin in the world. And then they turned again. It says they're like the, the pig that returns to wallow in the mud. They're like the dog that returns to its own vomit. Um, it is possible for someone to be saved and then to be lost again. Um, and so these passages don't contradict each other. Um, they just focus on different parts of the same question. Scott. And, and like we have, no one can snatch them from uh, the father's hand in John 10, but we also have James one that talks about when a person's own lusts leads them astray and they go out and pursue uh, sin leading unto death. Uh, that's two different things. That's not snatched away. That's, that's, all, let's remember, all we like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. Uh, the sheep in the parable of the shepherd wasn't snatched by the wolf. It, had, it was lost, had gone astray. And the son that left his father, when he came back, what does the father say? This was my son that was lost, and now he's found. This is my son that was dead, and now he's alive. Drew. So we're talking about once saved, always saved concept out of the Calvinist uh, theor- uh, doctrine. Yeah, I think I got us off on that. Well, that's exactly. okay, but that's all part of it. That's all part of it. That's fine. Uh, but, but the pre-chosen part, when Jesus spoke, uh, I think it was in what, uh, Matthew 6 or 7, where he says, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you'll find. I mean, yeah. is that to just the select chosen that someone's good, the Lord's going to just pick on? No, that's to everybody, isn't it? You, well, you remember the, it's at the end of the parable of the wedding feast. Many are called, but few are chosen. chosen. And that's within a context of somebody that showed up not dressed for the wedding. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, you think of in Galatians 3, we're to be baptized into Christ and put on Christ. We're to put off the old man. Uh I've been more and more, I just think about the fact of how it seems that too many people quit reading Paul's epistles too early. In Ephesians 2, it will tell you how it's talking about what we're saved by, not our works, but by God's grace. But if you go over to Ephesians 4 and 5, it says, you have to put off the old man because know this for sure. And don't let anybody deceive you with empty words that if you're living as a fornicator or a drunkard or an immoral person, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Same thing in Galatians. It's not through works of law, but through faith in Christ that we're justified. Chapter 2, chapter 5. I forewarned you as I forewarned you before, that if you practice hatred, drunkenness, fornication, you know, etc., you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, but coming back to the idea of, of how we come and how we are called. Uh, let's look at Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. Whereunto he called you through what? What are we called through? Repeat that uh, verse again. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14. How, in, in this text, what does it specify that we're called by? I've got, to this he called you through our gospel. Yeah. So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so the gospel goes out. Now, does everybody believe it? Romans chapter 10. No. 
Yeah. Romans chapter 10. Didn't they all hear the good tidings? For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So belief comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, did they not hear? I'm in Romans 10, verse 18 now. The sound went out into all the word, uh, earth, but the, the, the reaction of many is to not accept it, which reminds us of the parable of the sower. <laughs> yeah, I think another good illustration of that is right there in John chapter 6, which is the, quest, the text that we have in question today. Yes. Jesus is going to go on in that lesson about being the bread of life to say some hard things. Unless Apparently purposefully hard. I think so. And I think Jesus is illustrating in the chapter what happens when God's word goes out. God's word sometimes is very simple, very straightforward, easy to understand. And there's some times where there's some things that you have to really think about. That's one reason that Jesus taught in parables is so that it would be for those who are seeking, they'll be able to learn. And for those who aren't seeking and want just something easy, uh, I don't get that. I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, so That's why it was... That's why it was given to them to understand because they, the, the, the disciples, because they said, Lord, tell us what that means. Whereas the other ones, they didn't bother. So, eh, it doesn't make sense. I'm out of here. Right. And that's exactly yeah, what happens. In, that was so difficult. What did he say in this chapter that would have been really difficult? Well, he says, starting in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Sounds like cannibalism to me. It does. And I suspect it would have sounded that way to the people listening. In verse 53, Jesus would say, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Um, so in verse 60, many of disciples, when they heard it, what did they say? This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Yeah. Now look at the question Jesus asks. After they said, that's a hard saying. Who can hear it? What did Jesus ask? Do you take offense at this? Yeah, and uh, the the word, uh, I think it's, is it scandalos? Might be the Greek word here. It has to do with stumble. My translation says, does this cause you to stumble? Do you remember what Simeon said about the baby Jesus when Mary brought him to the temple? He took the child in his arms, and he was glad that he had lived to see that day. And then he said to his mother, this is Luke 2, verse 34. Behold, this child is set for the falling and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which is spoken against. First Peter 2 says that Jesus is a rock and different people do two different things with that rock. What are, they, what are the two options? And then what this will bring us back to John 6. What are the two options with the rock there in First Peter 2? In First Peter 2, he talks about is he's either your cornerstone or he's a stone of stumbling. In verse 7 of First Peter 2, he says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Yeah. 
and so when Jesus says some really difficult things, and some of these people that showed up, and we remember the reason why, was it verse 27? You showed up because you want more food. And then sure enough, uh, hey, how about a sign? Like, hey, food. And then he says some difficult things. He says, here's the food you need. This is what you've got to take in. This is what you have to eat. They said, that's hard saying. Who can hear that? He says, does that cause you to stumble? And it did. And they leave. And I love what happens next. What does he say to the 12? Do you want to go away as well? Yeah. And Peter, this is a great answer by Peter. Not all of his answers were quite up to par. This one was fantastic. And it's not fantastic because he said, oh, no, I caught all of that. You know, I caught the metaphor, and maybe there's an allusion to Lord's Supper, and I, I got the whole thing. It, that, that's not what's going on with Peter. Peter, I mean, one time when Jesus said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, the apostles are doing what? We forgot to bring bread. Oh, no. <laughs> we didn't buy any bread from the Pharisees. And so Peter doesn't understand either. But here's what he understands. What's Peter's answer? When the, something the again. These people stumble. They said, who can listen to that? Remember, Jesus said, let him that hath ears let him hear. Who can listen to that? And he said, does that cause you to stumble? And he says to the 12, are you guys leaving too? And Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a powerful lesson there. Sometimes there, there are so many questions I don't know the answer to. And um, there's going to be things that are difficult and things we don't understand. But what Peter, he, he doesn't claim to understand. But if he knows, hey, he's got the words of eternal life, then where does Peter need to stay? With Jesus. Even when he says hard things. And, and yeah, it's such a great illustration of what God's word does in people. There are people who are driven away by it. This is hard to understand. And there are people who, in humility, even though they may not understand all of the specifics, say, I've seen enough here to know that this is where eternal life is. And he asks a good question. To whom shall we go? Yeah. Because a lot of people reject the Lord but then go off onto something else that, that can't bring them satisfaction, that can't bring yep. them peace. And that's a really important question for us to think about. If, 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 when, and it's an important question to think about when we have doubts and when we encounter tough passages and when we're going through difficult things. If I reject the Lord and I just throw all this out, where am I going to go? And then the options are not great, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, there's nowhere else we're going to find eternal life, for sure. That's why the Lord said in Isaiah uh, 66, but, th but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So and in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, as it describes the good Samaritan, I mean the, the sower, the seed grows in which kind of ground? Good ground. Yeah, the good and honest heart. And, and that's a contrast you were saying before, uh, Scott, about we don't have all the answers. That's why we go to the Lord, we go to his word. Unlike the deacon who made that statement in the news that you read, he has all the answers. He knows that, that you can go ahead and even commit murder and you'll end up in heaven. What a contrast. 
Yeah. We've just got a couple minutes left here. Drew, I don't know if you want to put up that contact page. We haven't done that in a little bit. Um, if you don't have that handy, that's totally fine. <laughs> um, but again, uh, we, we invite your questions. I've enjoyed uh, us being able to uh, discuss these questions today um, on the question from Genesis and this question from John six, and we're still looking for more questions. So please feel free. Our apologies to Claire for that not working out uh, when she clicked on Ray's hand and uh, that didn't work out. We apologize about that. Yeah. We're still working on our technology here. And so bear with us as we grow in that. Okay. There's our contact page. So if you'd like to, to contact any of us for further study, um, we would love to be able to get in touch with people who are watching. And if you have further questions that you don't necessarily want talked about on the show, but you want to ask one of us, please feel free to contact us there. Um, email address is Scott at BibleQuest.tv, Drew at BibleQuest.tv, Stephen at BibleQuest.tv. Uh, please feel free to contact us with your questions. We don't have all the answers, but we know where to look for them. We know where to look for them, and hopefully together we can then come to the harder ones that are hard to understand. Guys, I really appreciate all your thoughts. Any last-minute thoughts or questions before we turn her down? I want to finish with a verse from James chapter 1, verse 21. We, we talked about the parable of the sower. There was the hard ground that the seed didn't even penetrate. There was the rocky ground that had no depth. Uh, in, in time of difficulty, it shrivels up. There, the plant shriveled up. There's the thorny ground where cares of the world and love of riches choke it out. And then there was the good ground. Uh, but that parable in the background of our mind, listen to this from James 1. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls and be doers of the word and not hearers only deluding yourselves. Amen. What, what verse was that? That was James, the second half of James 121. And then the first, uh, and then verse 22 also, James 1, 21 and 22. Receiving the word with meekness. It's not arguing against it, trying to get around it. It's uh, receiving it meekly and submitting to it. Let, letting it do its work in our lives. Amen. Very good. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in today. And you can tune in next week, Tuesday at 2 o'clock Eastern. Hope to continue to answer your questions.